in, uh, in his book on sin, uh, a guy named Cornelius Plantinga uh, opens this book with uh, recounting a scene from a movie called Grand Canyon. And in this movie, an uh, immigration attorney is uh, journeying around and uh, he's trying to get around a traffic jam. And so he cuts through uh, what ends up being a shady part of this town he's driving through. And his uh, big expensive car uh, has, begins to act up on him and he breaks down. Well, as he's sitting on the, the side of this uh, undesirable section of town, uh, a group of, uh, of this gang of young men come up and see this car and see it as being an opportunity for them to maybe uh, get something in this, uh, from this guy's uh, difficult state. And so they begin to come over and harass uh, this lawyer in his car. Um, well, before they got over there, he was able to call uh, the tow truck. So the tow truck driver eventually comes up before they're about to attack this guy. The tow truck driver is played by Danny Glover. And he pulls up and he gets out of his tow truck and he has this big uh, tire iron that he's holding with him in his hand. And uh, he uh, walks over to the uh, the, the leader of this little gang. And this is what he says uh, to him. He says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. The title of the book is called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be and it's a reflection on sin and it's uh, permeating effects within our world. Well, it's not just Danny Glover in this movie that recognizes the way that things exist and how we experience the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, it's not just you and me, but this morning, um, as we look in Psalm 120, uh, we're going to see that the author of this psalm is also reflecting and responding to his experience in the world of sin and its effects on him and others, recognizing and realizing that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, this uh, Over the, the next three weeks, um, we're going to begin to work our way through the Psalms of Ascent. These are uh, 15 Psalms, beginning in, with Psalm 120, um, towards the back of the, the, the book of Psalms in the uh, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, um, that were uh, assembled and given for God's people for them to sing these psalms as they journeyed from either within uh, the, the, the area of Israel or if they, they lived outside at some point, journeying back to Israel for one of the three uh, festivals that they celebrated throughout the year to come back into the presence of God to gather before Him and with His people and to worship and enjoy Him. 
And this is the first psalm. And we'll see in this as uh, the, the psalmist is reflecting on and realizing as he's singing and coming into the presence of his God, he's overwhelmed by looking in the world around him and recognizing that it's not the way it's supposed to be. What can we learn from this psalm? How should we respond to our experience of looking around and realizing it's not the way it's supposed to be? Um, So, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 120. Um, This is uh, on page 516, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. And uh, we will be going through the all seven verses this morning. So if you would, follow along as I read to us from the Word of God this morning. In Psalm 120. A song of ascents. In my distress, I called to Yahweh, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Yahweh, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given the Scriptures to us, Your people. We thank You that Your Spirit works and moves uh, through Your Word. And pray this morning um, that we would not just be going through the motions, um, that I would not just be uh, speaking my own thoughts, but that we would be digging deeply into the very Word of God. Change and shape us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, notice as we begin this psalm that the the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, his response and his emotional state is one of deep distress. I mean, that's how he starts off. In my distress, he's struggling He's wrestling with things that are around. Look in verse 2. In the midst of this distress, he's wanting deliverance. What he's experiencing is something that is overwhelming. uh, So much so that in verse 5, as he reflects on his life, he's calling out in deep anguish, woe to me because of what I've experienced and what's going on in my life. And even uh, saying in verse 6, too long, too long has this been going on. There's a deep sense of, uh, uh, of distress, of pain, of anguish, of longing that is in the, the heart, the mind, the life of the writer of this psalm. So what we want to look at is to, to look at two things. What's the source of this distress and this pain that he's experiencing and noticing, and then what is the source of hope in the midst of it? So first, let's look and see what the source of the distress is. Uh, And the first thing that we we need to notice and and to, to say is it's not just general discontentment. 
The guy's just not thinking, oh man, you know what? I've lived in this neighborhood too long. It's time for a change. They used to cut the grass down the street and now that that guy's moved out, that house is falling apart and these neighbors that moved across over here, they're just too loud. And those kids, man, they wake up too early screaming and playing and I can't get any sleep. Too long have I lived here. They're also, he's not saying, you know, I've heard people say this about Elizabeth City. You get here and you just don't seem to be able to leave. Too long have I been here. No, this is not what he is talking about. Notice the source of his distress isn't general discontentment. Look in verse 2. Deliver me, O Yahweh, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Lying lips, a deceitful tongue, uh, the use of your mouth and of your body to wound, to hurt, to inflict pain on others, to gain advantage of yourself. This guy is the victim and is experiencing what it's like uh, to be sinned against, to be wronged perpetually over and over. This guy is being wounded and hurt by people who are disregarding God and His purposes. He's a victim of the perpetrators of sin. Notice in verse 5, how overwhelmed he is by the pervasiveness of the sin. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Uh, these are places that reside that, that are outside of the boundaries of the promised land, outside of Israel, outside of Judah. He's looking around and he's saying, I live and am completely surrounded by people who do not know my God. As one of the people of God, he is overwhelmed by how it seems like everywhere he looks, all of the people who are around him are living in a way that's inconsistent with what God would have him to live. Now, uh, there's, there's one way we could look at this and think it, it's possible that the writer does live and is talking about the experience of people who have lived in Meshach or lived in Kedar and are around um, uh, people who are not the people of God and who are living and carrying out uh, these <coughs> continual acts of sin and harm uh, against him. But it's also possible that he's speaking figuratively that living in Jerusalem, he's also grieving over the fact that he sees people who, although they claim to be a member of the people of God, their lives, the way that they use their mouths, the way that they carry out their day-to-day -day activities, they look as if, and it feels like to him that he is living outside of the promised land because of how pervasive and overwhelming this sin and rebellion and action is happening to him and others around him. Uh, notice, it's, it's, uh, it goes deeper than just uh, somebody said a cruel word against him. Notice in verse 6 how these people are described. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. He goes on, 
I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, uh, again, remembering as we're, we're looking at the Scriptures, we saw from our study from Daniel, we saw this morning, God's people are not without sin. We're not saying that it's only those people out there who are bad and we don't have a problem with sin. That's not something that the Scriptures teach. Uh, the Scriptures teach us that we should recognize our own sin. That's why we flee and need Jesus. But here, the psalmist is recognizing that when uh, people who are against God and His kingdom and His rule uh, begin to act and live out their true identity, the righteous suffer. This word peace, shalom, it's not just talking about the absence of battle, the absence of attack. It's talking about living under God's good rule and His reign. It's talking and it, it, it encompasses this idea and this experience of universal flourishing, of wholeness, of, uh, of dwelling in the presence and in a renewed and restored relationship with God and His people. Uh, it's, it's pointing us back to the hope of what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when God first made all things. This uh, psalmist is, is living out a desire to find peace and wholeness and flourishing in God and God alone. And as he speaks this peace, offering it to other people, there is a rejection. A rejection of God, a rejection of His rule, a rejection of His peace. A rejection of living under His good care and dependence and finding your wholeness, your fulfillment, your flourishing in Him. There are opponents of peace that are surrounding this individual. Um, so th this writer's distress comes from the fact that he looks at the world around him and his experience in it, and he's overwhelmed by the effects that sin and sinners are having on him and all of God's creation. And his response is one of distress. Now, something that's important for us to remember, the Psalms, while they're written, they're not just songs to sing. Uh, they are songs to sing, but the, the effect and the, the purpose that God gave them to His people is to give us words to sing, prayers to pray. But remember what we talked about earlier in our service already. God doesn't just want us to go through the outward motions. It's the work itself inside. And so the things that the Psalms communicate are things that God desires to be on our hearts. It's to shape and form our response. He didn't give these Psalms of Ascent just for them to pass the time as they journeyed from Dan down to Jerusalem or from Meshach into the Promised Land. Like you're... Uh, singing a hundred bottles of beer on the wall, and we can't wait till we finally get to Jerusalem. No, it's to form and in shape their identity, their hearts, and who they are. So that brings a question for us: If the Psalm is telling us that the response of a righteous member of the people of God is to be distressed at sin and its effects in the world, 
we have to ask the question of ourselves. Am I? Are you distressed? Troubled? Overwhelmed? In anguish? Overseeing sin and its effects in the world? Think about it. Even if we start just with where the psalmist does, of lying lips, a deceitful tongue. Have you personally been wounded and hurt by someone using their words, using their language, speaking lies uh, to you and about you? Or do you see others who, who, in deceit and only out for themselves, use their words to take advantage and hurt and wound other people? Not just that it would affect you, but seeing how it, it hurts others, tears them down, rips them up. Who People you know who've, who've grown up, haven't experienced uh, lying and deceit, always spoken to them. And they live in a place of grief and shame and hurt even now. Does that bring distress and grief to your heart? What about deceit and dishonesty in workplaces and in businesses or in school? People may take advantage through false advertising or the kid who keeps looking on your paper because he knows you get better grades than he does. And then, uh, or to think about uh, other lies that are perpetuated in our society and continue to go along. Lies in the justice system, lies both on from the what those in a place of authority in the courts would want to speak to maybe imprison people falsely, or those who should be imprisoned but who are lying to get out of what they have done. Think about uh, cultural lies. Lies that are, are continue to travel and gain traction within our society about our sexuality, about our identity, about where life begins. Lies about uh, the unborn or uh, the elderly or the physically or mentally disabled and the value of their, their life or the lack of the value of their life. These lies begin to be perpetuated and not only are they spoken out, but people are taking them in and hurt and wounded by them or owning them and living it out. Lies about God. Both that come from inside those who would claim to be followers of God who are speaking lies about God's character and how one is made right with Him. That's sin. Or those who are outside of the church outside of God's people who are attacking and speaking lies about God and His character, claiming that He doesn't uh, exist, that the Scriptures are false. Lies of materialism. That you will only be satisfied if you have this thing. Too long have you lived in that house. Too long have you driven that car. Too long have you been married to that person? Lies, lies, lies that come up. Sin affecting, sapping the life, the flourishing out of our communities, out of our world, out of other people. God says our heart should be distressed over this. 
We should grieve as God's people our response to seeing how much sin has wrecked God's world and His creatures should be one of great distress and anguish and pain. But sometimes, if you're like me, I end up responding more with apathy. It doesn't move me anymore. I'm not grieved over what I see. I'm so focused on myself, I'm not really concerned with what's happening in the lives of other people. Or, maybe what we can begin to do is, like, what is possible in this psalm, that we begin to buy into the lies, we begin to believe them and take them as being true, and although we bear the name of the people of God, that Jesus died to save and secure that instead of living out life as, the, as God's people, His holy and set-apart ones, we begin living out a life that perpetuates the lie. We own it and living out, and we're living more like citizens of Meshach and Kadar than we are the people of the living God. This psalm, as God's people would have been traveling from wherever they were living, outside of the promised land, in it, and they're, as they're journeying on and they're reflecting and seeing the pain and the suffering and the sin and the problems all around them that they've experienced and everybody else is experiencing, what should be on their heart and in their mind and where it should move them is a place of distress, a place of grief, a place of anguish. But... What do you do? What's the response? What do you do with this emotional feeling of distress, of pain, uh, at seeing the brokenness in the world? We could respond in a variety of different ways. We could do the Batman response. Get really mad. So mad that your assumption is nobody else is going to do anything about this, and so i got to take the, it into my own hands. So these sinners, these bad people out there, I'm going to make them pay, and I'm going to make them suffer for what they've done to me and mine. And I'm going to take vengeance, because I don't know if it's justice is coming. Another response could be the response of Henny Penny and Chicken Little. To just live consistently in a state of paranoia and overwhelming fear that sin's going to take over everything and there is no hope in the world and I just move around unable to do anything to live and enjoy life or to experience what God has called and I run from Him, I run from others and I exist in a place of fear, shut off from everything. Or we could respond like Branch from the movie Trolls, who, having experienced great uh, pain at the sin of the Bergens in his world, his response is to give up hope, to stop singing, to become cynical and think that nothing's ever going to change, it's always going to be like this, there is no hope in 
the world. But notice, none of those responses are the response of, of the psalmist. None of those responses should be the responses of the people of God. But where does our hope come? Because it seems like reading the psalm, there is no answer. There is no solution. He starts off saying, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called to Yahweh and he answered me. Did you notice the last line? I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. That doesn't sound like a solution to me. Where is the hope? I'm praying. They're still hating. I'm seeking after the Lord. Where is the answer? Where does the hope come? Well, notice the, why the, this psalm has been given. It's given for the people of God to sing on their journey to Jerusalem. To sing as they journey over one of the three times of the festivals each year to come before their God. It's to shape and guide them in how they should respond in the midst of the pain and suffering that's going on. The singing is part of the, the, the answer, the seeking of their God. Notice that first it's calling us and the psalm is calling us to seek the God who hears. The, the psalmist here is the reason that he is coming to God now in the midst of his distress is this opening uh, sentence isn't telling you that he's telling you a story specifically about how he's answered the prayer here. He's saying, look, in the past, God answered. I know that he is a God who answers and works through the prayers of his people. And because I know that God hears and listens to prayers of his people, and he has done in the past, not just for me, but for all of his people, now I'm going to go to him in the present. Because since God is a one who hears the prayers of his people, what we should be as the people of God are those who seek God in prayer. In the midst of our distress and frustration and anguish and pain of the, of the, the situation and circumstances of sin in the world, our response should be in the midst of our distress to come and call out to our God. But, but notice, remember, this isn't just a one-time song. I pray, God answers my prayer, sin's gone. They journey to Jerusalem three times a year. Not just once in their lifetime, but over the course of their life. So what this psalm is saying is, look, as you're journeying through this life of following God, the reality is going to be that you're going to get a sense that sin is overwhelming, that it's everywhere. But continually, what we are to do as the people of God are to continue in our journey, seeking God, coming to Him, calling out to Him in prayer. And we can be confident that He will ultimately answer our prayer. Why? Notice, we have a different perspective than the psalmist does here. He's looking in the past, um, hoping for change in the future. We too can look in the past, but we have more of the past to look at than He did. How has God fully answered His promises? Remember the promise that He gave to His people 
uh, to Adam and Eve after the fall was that he was going to send one who would do what? Destroy the serpent. Deal with all that sin had brought into the world and distorted God's perfect creation. And throughout the scriptures, there's hope and there's longing for this one to come. We look back and know that God answers his promises. He keeps his promises. He answers the longings of his people. If God has sent Jesus to deal with all of the sin that's in the world, we can know and have confidence that God will ultimately answer our prayers. Maybe not in our lifetime, but as we continue to journey on in this life, as living life as a believer, we're calling out and seeking our God, confident that He hears and that He works. But not only do we seek the God who hears, we're seeking the God of justice. Notice in verse 3, the, the, the person that the psalm, psalmist is addressing um, shifts to speaking directly to the one who is lying and speaking deceit. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Uh, in places within Scripture, uh, the tongue and the use of the tongue for evil and for sin is described a lot of times as arrows. Um, attacking and wounding. You know, if people have used their words wrongly, how much deeply they hurt. Also, there's other places where the use of the tongue in wrong ways is described as a fire that burns and consumes. So the psalmist here is appealing and saying, look, justice is coming. I'm not going to seek out and take vengeance on my own. I'm not responding as the Hebrew Batman. Neither are we to respond as Batman who takes vengeance into our own hands. But we hope in the God of justice who ultimately will bring justice into this world and deal with the sin that is going on. Here, this description of, 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 of talking about God bringing His arrows against these perpetrators of evil or God bringing the coals of the broom tree. These were coals that were known to burn long and hot. And to think about this, the pictures that Scripture gives us of God's justice and His just wrath that will come is many times described as burning an unquenchable fire. The psalmist here is appealing. Notice, he's not just, he's not cursing. It's an imitation. Do you not know what waits you? Turn is the, is the, the, the question that's behind there. There's an offer on out before those who are perpetrating that as you continue to sin and rebel, this is what awaits you unless you turn to the God of peace. Do we not do we not see that in our as the scriptures unfold, how much God does hate sin and what he is willing to do to deal with it on our behalf, how problematic sin is. What we deserved was this wrath and destruction of God, his arrows and the eternal coals of the broom tree. But God sent his son, Jesus, who took on the full wrath and justice of God on behalf of sinners. And the scriptures tell us that although that's what we deserve, as we look to Jesus, we find forgiveness and redemption in God. 
That is the hope. The only hope we have is to look to Christ, to look to the promised one. But if not, we will face this just punishment. But it also serves to to encourage the people of God to sustain us to know that God will ultimately take vengeance and deal with those who are his enemies and the enemies of his people. We are to continually wait on, seek for the justice that God brings. Notice, lastly, that we're to seek the God who's present. Remember, this is the psalm. These are psalms of ascent. They're to uh, uh, to sing them as they're journeying on in these three festivals throughout the year that that the people of God use uh, to celebrate. And you remember when we were going through Leviticus and we were studying and looking at a lot of these festivals that they happened in the very presence of God. The journey and where you were going was journeying to enter in to the renewing, restorative presence of your God, where you would worship and enjoy him, where in a special way he would meet and be present with his people. You see, this the singer of this psalm and God's people throughout the ages as they've sung this are called to reflect and realize we have a God who's present with us. Although I look around me and see the overwhelming effects and pain and brokenness of sin, God is present in the midst of it all. And I can journey to and seek Him and be comforted by Him. The response of the people of God in the face of our distress and our anguish and our pain in the midst of sin is to continually seek the God who is present with His people. And if that was true for them, again, we got to look back. Jesus has changed it all. How much more so for us? Is God present? And seeing how intentional and uh, purposeful he is to come and be with his people, to enter into this broken and messed up world. Do you think you and I realize and recognize how messed up sin is? What about Jesus? Who left the glories and perfection of heaven, took on flesh to suffer and be rejected and experience the pain and brokenness of lying and deceitful tongues of those who rejected the peace that He offered. Yet we see God comes to pursue His people and come to be present with us in the midst of sin. But to realize, remember, that one of the, as the, the psalmist closes out, he says, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Where? Is this peace to be found? Because the ultimate source of hope in the midst of this rebellion, the midst of this pushing off this offer of shalom, the peaceful, universal flourishing that the reign of God will bring, where is the hope in the midst of that? Except to long for the peace that the presence of God brings. 
Notice that as these, the people of God are journeying year after year, month after month, coming to these festivals, they're being reminded the whole time, look, through the singing of this song, God recognizes and realizes that you're distressed at the pain around. But the invitation is to journey to me. To seek the peace that you will only find in me. The shalom that God offers. Mutual, whole, wholeness and flourishing in His presence. Do you, as God's people, do I as God's people now, uh, do we respond like that? Do we find hope in the midst of our brokenness by seeking the God who hears us? By seeking the God who brings justice? By seeking the God who is present? That should be our response. That as we become overwhelmed with all of the sin that's around us in the lives of others, maybe even in our own heart, is to continually be seeking the God of peace. Think about uh, uh, what, what that, uh, a tangible way that that would work. Day in and day out, through your week of living life here in Elizabeth City, surrounded by sin, brokenness, experiencing it day in and day out, the pain that others inflict on us and that we just see happening in the world. But on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, we're able, as God's people, to gather, to journey together, to come into His special presence, to lift up our voices to the God who hears, to be reminded of the, the hope that He will bring justice when He returns, to experience His special presence. Do you view worship on the Sabbath day as instrumental, as necessary for you to make life, make it through life in the world? It's one thing the psalm points us to. We need worship on the Lord's day as a way to sustain, to nourish, to encourage us, as to, 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 uh, to shape our life response that week in and week out, we're journeying to meet with God and His people so that then we can go out and be um, ambassadors, announcers, ministers of the peace and reconciliation that God offers. But not just... Not just that, it's not just what to think about if we're overwhelmed in the midst of our week of anticipating Sunday worship where we meet with God. Um, uh, but even, we talked about this before, remember one of the things that they would have practiced uh, at these festivals would have been peace offerings. Peace offerings would have been, the, 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 of the, the offerings that happened was the only one that the people themselves got to eat. Usually it just happened, the priest ate it or it was burned up and given holy to God. But there were certain offerings that happened particularly at these festivals where the people would bring offerings and they would sit and eat in the presence of God. We've talked about this before, but the Lord's Supper is a type of a peace offering to where we are gathering in the presence of our God, in the presence of Jesus who has brought us His peace and we are eating and fellowshipping and enjoying Him together in His presence. But remember, what we've, we've talked about this before. We see this gathering on Sunday, this feast, as a foretaste of a greater gathering that is yet to come. Of a greater feast that is yet to come. 
One way to think about it is we're not just a, a week in, week out journey to the Sabbath, but we're longing for the ultimate Sabbath, for the ultimate peace that Jesus will bring. One way is for us to think about the Christian life as one long journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the temple's been destroyed. But I don't know if you remember, when Jesus came, what he spoke of of himself was he was the true temple. He was the place where God dwelt among his people. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews speaks like this as he's describing the experience of those who have hoped and trusted in Jesus. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, we now have access to what the, the, the earthly Jerusalem and earthly uh, promised land pointed to. The restoration of all things. Jesus coming and restoring all things. And the image that we are given in Revelation is this heavenly Jerusalem, the dwelling, special dwelling place of God, is what will be the whole earth. When God renews and restores it, the new heavens and the new earth are described as the heavenly Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. So really, the Christian life is one long journey to the heavenly Jerusalem that is restored on this earth. And on that journey, we are to be those who are hoping and trusting in our God. Distressed at sin? Yes. Grieved in pain over sin? Yes. But we have hope because we, we are seeking a God who hears. We are seeking a God who will bring justice. We are seeking a God who is present with us. And we are seeking a God who brings peace in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, for uh, the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the Psalms that point us to how we are to think, how we're to feel, how we're to respond and act. We pray that as your people, we would be seeking you in the midst of this broken and messed up world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Jesus was on his way, Uh, to Jerusalem.